Is that good? Let's have church. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Well, I've come today with a, a very uh, passionate message. And um, it's one that um, you'll need to think about as you hear it delivered. And I'm going to ask you at the conclusion of it to respond accordingly. John chapter 21. Uh, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, to the disciples, I'm going fishing. I'm quitting all this Jesus business. I'm going fishing. I'm going to go do my own thing. This didn't work for me. They said unto him, we're going with you. And so they all went and entered to a ship immediately. Even those that were not fishermen went. They were so discouraged by what happened to Jesus being crucified that even those that didn't know how to fish went fishing. Isn't that amazing? It just, that whole spirit and attitude just captivated this group of men. And they all got on a boat and some of them didn't even know what they were doing as you'll see here in a minute. They entered into the ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And he said unto them, Children, you have any meat? Y'all have any fish out there? They answered and said, No. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. I want to read one more verse. Actually, two verses. Isaiah said, God said in Isaiah, Come now, come now, and let us reason together. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Saith the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you'll be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. I want to speak to you for a little while. I'm going to title this in the form of a question, just simply trying the other side. Trying the other side. Thank you for your patience and standing. Everybody say, God bless the word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Brother Wheeler, you did an amazing job today. Thank you, sir. What a charge uh, to Grace Church this morning. Thank you so very much. Uh, Nathan Henson did a wonderful job teaching in Next this morning, but where I was really, really encouraged. I watched the clock, and he went six minutes over. It turned red on him by six minutes, and I was really encouraged by that. It just inspired me. You production booth people. So there you go. So I uh, love Nathan Henson. I don't believe anything Jesus did was by accident, even down to what seems a casual type of scene like the one I just read to you. I don't know why it would have enthralled Jesus if you was just a bystander to watch these guys fish for a while and then ask them, y'all caught any fish? And uh, I've done that before, walk up to somebody fishing and ask them that question. 
And if they've caught a lot of fish, they're real happy to answer it. But if they're not having a good day, they really don't want to answer that question. They want to say, it's none of your business. You go down there and fish, and if you catch fish, fine. Don't worry about my fishing. This story came after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, and and John said that when Jesus showed up, they didn't recognize that being Jesus. That's amazing. This is going to be real hard to preach in my time frame, and they hadn't turned the clock on. Hallelujah, glory to God. So I'm good to go today. I don't have that clock back there staring me in the face. Don't turn it on now. It's too late. I'm kidding. Uh, You might want to turn it on, actually. But this was after the resurrection. The women had been drawn to the tomb, as those of you that remember the story. But the men, uh, his disciples perhaps felt betrayed. They got the message secondhand. The angel said, tell his disciples and Peter. So Peter kind of got it kind of backhanded uh, from one of the women who had been there that y'all need to go to the tomb. But my question is, Jesus told them that he would resurrect on the third day. Why weren't they standing there waiting for it to happen? He told them it was going to happen. Okay. So they got their feelings hurt. This whole Jesus business, and to put it into our culture, into our cultural vernacular, the church thing wasn't working. They gave it all they had. Everybody listen to me today. They gave it all they had. And it didn't work. The one they followed was brutally murdered in front of their face and they were helpless to do anything about it. They summarily forgot all of his promises. They forgot everything he said, etc. And Peter kind of led the charge that said, forget about all this business, I'm going back to fishing. That was his way of saying... My feelings are hurt, I'm close to being bitter, I'm disillusioned, I'm confused, I don't know which end is up, I thought I knew Jesus, I thought I knew a little bit about church, I thought I knew some about the Bible, I thought I knew the preacher, I thought I knew about all this stuff, and now my world has been turned upside down, I'm forgetting about it all, and I'm going back to my original lifestyle as I lived it before I ever met Jesus. We call that backsliding. So, this was their way of saying life must go on. I'll work it out to the best of my abilities. So they threw themselves into their prior lifestyle. They went fishing. And the Bible said, on their first night back to the water... After backsliding and turning their back on Jesus and the kingdom of God, it didn't go too good. I want everybody to hear me today. This is a message for, uh, of opportunity for somebody here today, more than one somebody. There's somebodies here today. This is a message of opportunity for you. And you may not feel its relevance uh, now, but eventually you will. It will be relevant to you at some point in the future. This is an opportunity for you and Jesus to get things squared away again. He's been watching you for a long time. He's watched you toil and labor. He's watched your life fall apart. 
and things aren't going well, your marriage isn't good, your life isn't good, your finances isn't good, and what have you. Jesus said if you would seek first the kingdom, even when he doesn't appear to be around, do it anyway. Just trying to help somebody here today. So we don't know how long Jesus watched them, but he stood there. I have a feeling he watched them long enough to realize they're not catching anything. And of course, him being God in flesh, he might have had something to do with that. We do know that he can tell fish to swim into a net. So he can probably tell them to avoid the net. See that net right there? Don't go anywhere close to it. I got a, a, a little lesson I need to teach them morons up there in that boat that think they can do life without me. I'm trying to help somebody here today. That's all I'm trying to do. So he watched them from the shore. But he noticed one thing, and this is what I've come to accentuate today. They only threw their net off of one particular side of that boat. Now, I'm not going to micro-analyze this. I'm not a big fisherman, but I just don't see where it's going to make that much difference in casting over here. Maybe Brother Tommy can, can school me on this later, but maybe there is a difference than casting your net. And those weren't huge boats back then. They weren't on a freight liner, ship that was 100 yards wide. Fish over here or fish over here, maybe it makes a difference, I don't know. But Jesus noticed that every time they threw that net, they only threw it to one side. So he stood there long enough to realize that whatever they were doing, they were only doing it one way, their way, and the way they knew how. So they threw that net, and they caught nothing. So when he asked the question, do you have any meat, that means, do you have any fish, do you have anything to show for all of this effort you're going through and time you spent, money you spent, do you have anything to show for it? He knew the answer to that question when he asked it because he had been standing there watching them. And he knows the answer to that question when he asked you the same question. Of the life that you've been living for the past days, weeks, months, and even years, what do you have to show for it? That's the question. So here's this man who is a stranger to them. They didn't know it was Jesus. And he said, I'd like to make a suggestion. He didn't give any qualifications. He didn't present his resume. He just said, why don't y'all try casting the net off the other side of the boat. This is so simple, it's pitiful. But we miss it. This is profound, but we miss it. The point is, is you've tried life your way for however long, and it hasn't worked. So why don't you try another way? That's the point. Does everybody get that? That's not hard. This isn't rocket science. We're not sitting here at NASA. But I see people. There's people here today. I would to God I could grab you by your shirt and just shake you and say, you think you've got everything together and whatever, and you don't see things are falling apart around you. 
your marriage isn't good, you know, the kids aren't doing great, and, you know, you're not happy, you're not fulfilled or whatever, but you keep doing the same thing over and over every day, every day, every day. Why don't you try something else? And in this particular case, Jesus knew what he was doing, and so he communicated later very clearly to Simon and these other disciples, you just don't walk away from me that easy. Number one, you didn't listen to what I said. Number two, if you heard what I said, you didn't believe it. And you don't walk away that easy. He came and found them. He watched them and their, them living their life, their way. He watched them do that. And at a critical moment, at the most opportune moment, and what and it's what God is doing today in this service right now, with there are several people here today, God is shouting in your ear. Have you any meat? What do you have to show for your life that you've lived it your way for the past however long? He's setting you up. And your answer, if you're honest, is not much of nothing. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. Life hasn't gone as I've planned. Folks, I have seen this all of my life. And I would to God... People would understand it and just listen to the preacher one time and say, you know what, I'm going to do what that dude up there is shouting to me about. I'm just going to try it. And I'm shouting because I'm passionate. I told you I'm passionate today. I want to get loud in your ear and I want you to hear it. This isn't a game. It's, it's not an option. It's not, I can if I want, and I don't have to if I don't want to, and that kind of thing. It's, it's not that. It's more than that. And it's not just based on this life. There's an eternity ahead of us, and that's where the big deal happens. So they said, no, we don't have nothing. We've toiled all night and we haven't caught anything. And so the Lord said something and it's profound to me. Why don't you try the other side? So that's what I've come today to preach to you about. Jesus introduced to them and was underscoring a principle, a great, awesome principle of life. In life, there is always another side. There's always an option. You never get to the end of your road without there being an option. And that option is always Jesus. He's always there. You'll never get to the end of your rope and He not be there. You'll never go through a crisis or a storm or a trial or a problem. You'll never lose your job without Jesus being there. He's sitting in the doctor's office when the doctor gives you that diagnosis of whatever. He's sitting there when you're at the attorney's office and your, your marriage isn't going good and you're filing for divorce. He's sitting there and he hears all of that. And he waits to that opportune moment like today and he says, Hey, do you have any meat? You've done it your way all these years. Do you have anything to show for it? If you don't, then I'm giving you a way out. I'm giving you an option. I'm giving you a choice that life can get summarily better if you'll choose my way and let me direct your paths. I would to God somebody would hear me today. It's profound that a leaf the leaf off of a tree, it has two sides. A coin has two sides. A circle has two sides. If you don't get that, see me after church. Weeping, the Bible said, 
may endure for a night. But there's another side. It doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there. The Bible said, but joy comes in the morning. So often you toil in the night. But have you tried the other side? It's, that, it's, it's the answer that, that you give to the question, have you any meat? Have you anything to show for what you've been living and how you've been living and what you're doing with your life? Do you answer if you're honest and say, I've toiled all night, but I have nothing? Maybe you need to try another side of life. So let's talk about the other side. Maybe you've been harboring an unforgiving spirit. God knows your heart. You may try to mask it, and there's people here that do. But God knows your heart. Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. He left us an example. For they know not what they do. Have you tried, have you tried unforgiveness? And it's led to bitterness and hatred? And you don't like church? And you don't like the preacher? And you don't like anything about the Bible? Do you have anything to show for your life since that time? Have you any meat? So instead of doing the grudge and the unforgiving thing, why don't you try forgiveness? There's another side. There's another path you can choose. Why don't you try forgiving that person, as hard as it may be? If you pray first about it, spend some time over there, a little more time over there, and a little less time with the attorney. And the attorney telling you how to get even and how to balance the score and how to get revenge and all that. Why don't you spend a little more time over there and pray about it? Trying to help somebody here today. If you have a critical spirit, many live their lives criticizing everything and everyone. A man once told a minister, you've made 38 grammatical errors in your sermon. The minister replied, I'm using what I have for the glory of God, are you? Criticism is a poor substitute for service. There was a sign that was affixed to a church door that read one time, come in without knocking and leave the same way. Don't knock what we do around here. <laughs> Those of you who didn't catch on to that, <clears throat> y'all are a little slow this morning. Come on, Grace Church, let's get going. In our critical way, we often judge men by what we have seen when we truly do not know a person's heart. We say, thank God I'm not like other men, when in fact, really and truly, we are like other men. Have you any meat? Has that worked? Being that kind of person, has all of your criticism ever brought to you anything profitable? Do you have anything to show for it? If not, there's another side. Why don't you try the way of praise next time you come to church instead of judging people, instead of criticizing people? Why don't you lift your hands headward and throw your face up in the air and say, I love you, Jesus. I'm going to worship Jesus today. I'm going to praise the Lord today. Why don't you let's do that right now. Clap your hands to the Lord this morning. Anybody live in the way of indifference? Galileo, the deputy at Corinth, had a chance to go hear the great apostle Paul, but he said, the Bible said Galileo cared for none of these things. It's an indifference towards the things of God. You ask people why they're not in church, and 
Oh, they can give you a long list of excuses, but the sum total is they don't care for these things. They don't care about it. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And Paul said, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, as the manner of some is, as you see the day approaching. But you say, I don't care about any of those things. Has indifference to the things of God done anything wonderful to your life, in your life, for your life? What do you have to show for it besides broken relationships, broken families, broken kids, broken dreams, hard to find satisfactory employment, so on? Have you any meat? Do you have anything to show for it? Why not try the other side? Instead of being indifferent towards the church, why don't you have a good pray-through experience and get on fire for God and say, what can I do for the kingdom? What can I do to serve God? What can I do to serve? Come on, I'm trying to help somebody here today. There's folks here today that's lived an attitude and a mentality for years, and it's gained you nothing. It's profited nothing. So why don't you try the other side? I'm running out of time. I'm going to skip over to, uh, you've tried the side of unfaithfulness. Let's go there, praise team, our uh, production booth people. You've tried the side of unfaithfulness, and now I'm getting to my message. You've tried the side of unfaithfulness. I just made a plug for our Wednesday night service. Just because you're faithful every Sunday doesn't mean you're faithful. You're very faithful half the time. Just trying to help somebody here today. We need to relearn and reevaluate the word faithful. When it's time to come to Wednesday night church, we went to somebody's house the other night. I did. And uh, these folks live a long ways away. If I were them, I would move closer to Grace Church. I'm just saying. Moving my subdivision. A lot of Grace Church lives there anyway, so come on and join the rest of the folks. But uh, just, you know... But once I drove to their house and back, I realized, man, when Wednesday night comes around and, you know, hubby gets home, you know, right at church and, I mean, and it's hard to eat dinner real quick and get everybody dressed to come to church, but they very rarely miss. And I thought that was amazing. In contrast to that, we have folks that live in the stone throw of church and never see them on Wednesday night, and I just, I, I can't figure it out. It's like the people that live further away and have to pay the biggest price to get here, the ones that are here the most, it seems like. I'm not trying to compare people. I'm not on a soapbox this morning. I'm just trying to help somebody. We need to learn faithful. Our world is not getting better. And less church is not going to help you in our world today. Now, if everybody was Christian people and our president was full of the Holy Ghost and was an apostolic and he just harped on the good things of God and you heard that on the news all the time, it might be a little different, maybe. But that ain't the case. We need of all of God we can get, and we need all the Word of God we can get. As Brother Wheeler said, if you have your faith in money and politicians and all that, you're going to be disappointed sooner or later. It's not going to last. You need to be faithful to church, faithful to your pastor, faithful to your prayer closet. Pray first. Faithful to your prayer closet. Faithful with your tithe. Tithe is to be paid as income is made. It's the top tenth, the first tenth. Have you tried the way of unfaithfulness? Have you? Have you any meat? What have you gained by that? I heard someone who is not real faithful to church complain because their kids aren't. Well, you taught them. Don't complain your kids don't come to church half the time when you don't either. Be honest about it. 
That's what I'm talking about today. I'm trying to help somebody. It's never too late to start. Why don't you get in gear, have a good pray-through experience, and say, God, it's not brought me anything. I've not accomplished anything. And all I do is sit home and watch television on Wednesday night, Fox News, and I'll go to bed so depressed I can't see straight. Come out here. No, Bill O'Reilly ain't on Fox News no more. But, yeah, you know, I thought about maybe I could do a Bill O'Reilly-type segment on Wednesday night where I'm Bill O'Reilly, and I get a little thing up here. My chair sits higher than everybody else's so I can look down at people and try to come up with all these little quippy things that makes it real, real interesting. So maybe instead of you staying on watching Fox News, you come out, to, out on Wednesday night and watch Grace News. With the Glenn Murphy factor. <laughs> what do you think? Unfaithfulness. Folks, you're not going to be better by being less. It never works. Never works. Have you tried the way of worldliness? I could really get on a soapbox here, but I'm going to do my best to behave this morning. This is kind of a Sunday morning environment. But there's an old proverb that says, the world is a net, and the more we stir in it, the more we are entangled in it. Worldliness is excluding God from our lives, and therefore, consciously or unconsciously, accepting the values of a man-centered society. And this is happening to the church. Worldliness is not only doing what is forbidden, but wishing it was possible to do it. One of its distinctives is mental slavery to illegitimate pleasure. Worldliness twists values by rearranging their price tags. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. In the book, Gailey, the Troubadour, published in 1936, 81 years ago, author Glitterman wrote the following poem, and you, I'm going to read this poem, and you wouldn't guess that it was written over 80 years ago. He said, first, wrote this over 80 years ago, first dentistry was painless, then bicycles were chainless, carriages were horseless, and many laws enforceless. Next, cookery was fireless, telegraphy was wireless, cigars were nicotineless, and coffee was caffeineless. Soon oranges were seedless, the pudding green was weedless, the college boy hatless, the proper diet fatless. Now motor roads are dustless, the latest steel is rustless, the tennis courts are sodless, and our new religions are godless. I think that we're in an age where our religion is becoming more and more worldly and therefore more and more godless. John Stott said, you know that your own country, you know what your own country is like. He said, I'm a visitor and I wouldn't presume to speak about America, but I know what Great Britain is like. I know something about the growing dishonesty, corruption, immorality, violence, pornography, and diminishing respect for human life and the increase of abortion. Whose fault is it? He said, let's put it this way. 
If the house is dark at night, there's no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If meat goes bad, there's no sense in blaming the meat. That is what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? It's a preservative. If society becomes corrupt, he asked, like a dark night or stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? If you're a part of a church and you've tried the way of worldliness, what have you got to show for it? Have you any meat? For all of your toil and labor to be worldly, has it gained you anything? Are you better off now than then? Is your life better now than it would have been had you been living for God all of that time? Why not try the way of righteousness for a while? Why not have a good pray-through experience and say, God, I'm going to give my life back to you? My last question today. Have you tried the way of sin? Sin has many manifestations, but its essence is one. A moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on the throne of his own selfhood and from that elevated position declares, I am. That is sin in its concentrated essence. I am. The devil said that I will ascend above the throne of God. So you push God off the throne of your life and you sit on it and you say, I'm it. I'm the God of my life. That is sin in its concentrated essence. And because it is natural, because we are born in sin, it has become natural. It's natural for humankind to sin. So because of it being natural in a condition we're born with, it appears to be good. It appears to be okay. But you may ask today, if you don't, I'll ask it for you. If sin is an issue in my life, then what shall we do as they ask in Acts 2? It's the deep cry of every man who has suddenly realized that he is a usurper and sits on a stolen throne. The root of the human problem is the dynamic disease of sin operating within the soul and then manifesting itself. We look at the dreadful things of other people and, and, and uh, that they do it, then we excuse ourselves. Humans are, like, are, are not unlike volcanoes inside a volcano. The pressure builds until the top blows and with a dramatic eruption of lava. But at other times, at other times, a volcano will crack slowly and, and, and sedulously appear on the side. The lava appears on the side of the volcano and the lava flows out in a different manner. So it is with human beings. Sometimes we blow our lid. But other times the sin and the evil in us just seeps out here and it seeps out there and somehow we think that's okay and we can 
Never say that the circumstances in which a young person's character was formed did not have some impact on the way he behaves. But on inside of each of us, there's a thing called sin. And no matter what way, what way the volcano was ever formed, no matter what the sin problem is, we either blow at the top off or we leak streams of lava. It's the lava on the inside that's the problem. And the ultimate disease is the problem. And sin is the problem. And there's not nothing human beings can do about it. And the essence of sin... It's the refusal to recognize that we are accountable to God in everything we do. No one gets a free pass. I've said this over and over in my pulpit ministry in the past 24 years at Grace Church. No one is going to stand before God and sob and cry with your excuse or your reasoning or your perspective and God pat you on the back and say, that's okay, I understand, come on in anyway. The Bible said we're judged according to the book. Not your circumstances. There is something terribly right about realizing that our struggle with sin is in many ways similar to an alcoholic's struggle with drinking. It's never over. It's never over. Somebody said one time, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And even when you quit drinking, you still crave it. And you still want to have it from time to time. And a lot of disciplined people live the rest of their life with that craving and they never respond to it. But sin is the same thing. It's always there. It's never over. Sin is never over. How often I find myself talking about sin in the past tense. As if being a sinner is something that I'm now beyond. I hear church people talk about that. I remember when I was an alcoholic, when I smoked, and when I did this and did that and whatever. That doesn't mean it's over. We still need God. We still need the presence of God in our life. We still have to have those moments of intimacy, as, as, as Nathan talked about in Next this morning. We still have to have that fellowship with God. We have to have the grace of God. We have to have the love of God. I have not grown beyond the point. I received the Holy Ghost when I was 12 years old. I'm 60 now. Somebody do the math. I've had the Holy Ghost a long time. I was baptized when I was 10. I was born and raised in the church, but I'm standing here to tell you, I'm called to be a minister. I'm a man of the cloth and and what have you. And I'm supposed to have that perfect life, but I stand transparent before you today and tell you that frequently and oftentimes I have to get on my face before God and repent somewhere, whether it's in my vehicle or in my house or at the church somewhere and say, God, forgive me of that thought and forgive me of that deed and forgive me of that action. We all need God. Nobody graduates beyond the school of sin. And I'm going to speak to the core of UPC here today. We can dress up in all of our holy garb and not cut our hair and do this and do that and whatever else you want to put in that blank. But that's still not righteousness to God. Not in and of itself. If you're toting stuff around on the inside of you, that's as much sin as anything else you can do on the, ex- on the outside. So, come now. Let us reason together. I'm not better than you because I'm the preacher today. I'm not on an ego trip. I needed God yesterday. Sister Dean, I needed God this morning. I promise you I did. I'm not better than you because I'm preaching this message.
I'm preaching this message to you today because I'm like you. And I know that I've pretty much lived the choir boy life, Sister Landry. I've never been an alcoholic and a drug addict and all that foolishness. But I've had issues with pride. I've had issues with an unforgiving spirit. I've had issues with jealousy. I'm being honest. And I have to pray about it. And I have to pray about it often. I'm not better. I'm just preaching to you because we have that in common. And I'm asking you. Let's reason together. There's people here today that's lived a life, a mentality, a perspective, a point of view. You've lived it for years. It's got you nowhere. You're not any better now than you were then. You still need God. So come now and let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, it shall be white as snow. Though they be crimson, they shall be white as wool. If, 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 You'll be willing, you'll be willing. If you'll be obedient, God will put all that stuff aside. He'll erase all of it out of your life. Have you any meat? Have you anything to show for your life living it your way? Do you? If you don't, There's another side to life. His name is Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, he said. Take my yoke upon you. I didn't see this moment coming. I didn't see this message ending like this. But in the past two or three minutes, I have felt a deep, deep surge of the Holy Ghost. It's like God is beneath your feet right now. He's not standing beside you. He's gotten underneath your feet. You're standing on Him right now. And He wants to show you His stability, His consistency, His love, His kindness, His grace, His power, His majestic ability to take the life of a man or a woman. And so gracefully and so intricately put it all back together again mom dad you know stand with me this morning I'm done but moms dads our our society is so out of whack now it's unbelievable you know it you're getting so many things every day shoved down your throat. You know what's interesting to me? And it, it came to light in next this morning listening to Brother Nathan teach. You know, when social media came about, it was a big deal, and everybody loved it. And I've got 200 friends on Facebook, and, you know, 81 people follow me on Instagram, and i got a Twitter account and all that stuff. And, boy, we all jumped in it. Now we're hearing Bible studies and preachers, I do it all the time, are trying to tell people how to cope with the disappointment and letdown of social media. It's like it's replaced 
alcohol and nicotine in the preacher's sermon. There's no fulfillment in that. Come now and let us reason together. Has the life you've been living brought you to where you've always dreamed of being? Or has it let you down? If it's let you down, there's another side. Brother Greg, I don't know what else to say, man. I, I, I'm giving it all I've got. I don't know what, I don't know what else to say. I, it'd be really cool if there's about eight or ten people up in front of this building already and say, man, that applied to me. But, you know, we're, 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 we're in the waiting room of the doctor now. And, uh, you know, instead of the doctor talking to us one-on-one, he's just talking to the whole crowd. And we don't know if he's talking to that guy or he's talking to that guy or me. I'm talking to you, whoever you are, wherever you're from. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and without me, you can do nothing. Try the other side. Give God His due in your life and see what God, see what God can do. There's scores of people here this morning that have experienced what I preached about. There's a lot of people here today that said, I can live life my way. And they came to a point and said, it doesn't work. I've got to do God's way. And so they did. And life is summarily coming together for them. That could be your testimony here today. Somebody open your heart to him right now. Somebody. Somebody open your heart to him right now. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, everybody. Everybody reach heavenward. Everybody reach Godward. Come on, everybody. Come on, Grace Church. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God can take your broken heart and put it back together again. Yes, He can. Somebody reach. Somebody reach. Somebody reach. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, ministry team. Find somebody to pray with. Come on, ministry team. Find somebody to pray with. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. In the name of Jesus.
Open the door, oh God, and I pray that he wants so much to bring to the table. Pray, God, that you'd keep your arms around him. God, keep your arms around him. In the name of Jesus, take him by the hand. God, God, his footsteps, I pray. In Jesus' name, God, you've been so good. You've been so kind. been so patient. In Jesus' name, God, speak to his spirit, I pray. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Everybody reach. There's a move of the Holy Ghost going on right now. There's a move of the Holy Ghost going on right now. Let's reach. Everybody reach in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody let the Lord have his way. Somebody let the Lord have his way. Come on, Grace Church. 
folks praying all over the building. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Let's talk to Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.